John chapter 6, beginning with verse number 60. Are we all there? Great. And for, for time's sake, I'm going to go ahead and read, and then we're going to go ahead and get into uh, the lesson. John chapter 6, beginning with verse uh, number 60. And it reads as follows, reading uh, from the King James Version. Many, therefore, of his disciples, when they had heard this said, this is a hard saying, who can hear it? And when Jesus knew himself that his disciples murmured at it, he said unto them, does this offend you? What and if we... What and if ye shall see the Son of Man ascend up where he was before? It is the spirit that quickens, the flesh that profiteth nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. But there are some of you that believe not. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were that believed not and who should betray him. And he said, Therefore I say unto you that no man can come unto me except it were given unto him of my father. And from that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. And then Jesus said unto the twelve, Will ye also go away? And then Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. And we, and we believe and are sure that thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered them, Have not I chosen you twelve, and one of you is a devil? And he spoke of Judas Ariscot, the son of Simon, for he it was that should betray him, being one of the twelve. God's word for God's people, and uh, God's word is already blessed. Uh, tonight, for just a few moments, I want to use this as a brief subject, uh, again, just uh, nuggets for you. Thank you. Thank you so kindly. I feel special. Okay. Don't make sure I'm, I'm a short guy so I don't let it go. Okay. Okay. Testing. Can you hear me? Okay. And so tonight, uh, I want to use this as a nugget for you uh, to be able to nibble on tonight and the rest of this week. I want to talk about, for a few moments, discipleship that's been tested by doctrine. Discipleship that is tested by doctrine. Uh, when you think about uh, discipleship, and we talk about discipleship a lot uh, in our churches and we hear people talk about discipleship and discipleship. And my question for you, and you don't have to answer it out loud, but are we truly discipling individuals? Are we truly being about our father's business? Do we truly know what it means to actually disciple an individual? Because we can talk about it all day long, and that's, that's good to talk about it. It's good that it is on paper that's all well and good, but it's so much deeper than that. Many times, if we are not careful, we will talk about uh, any given day of the week. If you and I are not careful, and if we're not discipling according to the Bible, we'll end up talking about our lives in such a way 
that we will allow our life experience to interpret our life when it should be the Bible that interprets our life. And when we think about discipleship, when I think about uh, discipleship and why it is so important, I, I want to read this part right here to you and just let this sink in for a few moments. Why discipleship is so important? Because discipleship is important because we want people, you and I, as believers in Christ, we want people to become fully committed followers of Christ. Now, that's a bad word right there, the C word, committed. If you think about the word I said before, committed, fully committed. Because we want people to become fully committed followers of Christ. And as a result, discipleship helps believers to grow in their faith, to grow in maturity and wisdom, and to build their faith on a strong foundation so that they can disciple and lead others to Christ. Now, I know that was a mouthful, and, and I'll read that again because I see some of you trying to take some notes on that. But, again, discipleship is important because, first of all, we want people to become fully committed followers. Fully committed followers of Christ. And as a result of becoming a uh, fully committed follower of Christ, then discipleship in turn helps believers to grow in their faith. To grow in maturity and in wisdom. But not only that, it also helps to build your faith and my faith on a strong foundation so that we can disciple and lead others to Christ. And so if we're going to disciple others, if we want others to have these characteristics and everything, my question to you tonight, what I just read out to you, before you try to take them outside this, these doors here, do you possess this? Are you fully committed to Christ? Not to the pastor. Not to uh, your Bible teacher, because there will be times your pastor, a Bible teacher, I've been preaching for 25 years, and I've pastored for 15 years. And one thing that I've discovered, when I first started pastoring, I'm 40 now, and I was 24 when I first started pastoring. And it seemed like everybody loved me, and everybody just, I was the best thing since sliced bread. Until I said something according to the Bible that people did not like. And after that, the people who liked me and was patting me on the back and always had a smile, those smiles began to turn into frowns. Individuals who would approach me and ask me how I was doing, they would walk all the way around the other side to just avoid me. Come to find out later, something that I said in the sermon. Not my words, but according to the Bible that they did not like, or if I was discipling it, we had to talk about some tough issues according to the Bible, didn't like. And so my question to you, are you a fully committed follower of Christ? And as uh, being fully uh, committed to Christ, then as a result, our faith. Where is your faith at right now? Your faith tonight ought to be stronger than it was last Wednesday night. You ought to be more mature today in Christ 
than you were on yesterday. You ought to have a little bit more wisdom than you did on yesterday or this same time on last week. And above all, our foundation definitely should be and rest upon uh, Jesus Christ so that we, you and I can lead others to Christ. Now, when we look at the text tonight, and when you think about the text tonight and you read this text and you dissect the text, you find out that Jesus has been preaching, he's been teaching. And as a result of going about preaching and teaching, people have begun to follow him, crowds. People are just, and it's no different than this day and time. Everybody wants to be a part of, of something, whether it's good or bad. I don't necessarily agree with the bad, but nevertheless, People want to be a part of something. And when you look at the text tonight, Jesus preaching and teaching, and he continues to draw crowds, and people are just coming and flocking to him. And as he's uh, teaching and preaching, people, as they always do, and I truly believe they were Baptists because they were hungry. But at that day and time, there was no Walmarts. There was no Kroger's. There was no uh, mom and pop restaurant on the corner and everything. And, and all they had was Jesus, which that is enough. Thank God that's enough. And you continue to read the text. Uh, and Jesus, he feeds the crowd. He definitely, he, he feeds the crowd. But if you notice in the text, he waits until they, their bellies are filled. Once their bellies are full and they are satisfied, the Bible, the text tells us that he says something to them. He makes a statement to them. And in essence, what he says to them is that many of you are following me for what you can get out of me. Many of you are following me because you want bread. And you fail to realize and understand while you want bread, and that's the reason why you're following me, but I am the bread of life. And so as a result, he tells them, and I'm just paraphrasing, but it's there in the text, that I am no longer going to feed you. No more fish sandwiches, no more Happy Meals, because you are only following me for what you can get out of me not because of who I am my question again to you tonight how many times have we been guilty of it or we know others that have been guilty of it only following Christ for what they can get out of Christ and not because who Christ is again this crowd was following Jesus because they wanted bread but they failed to realize and understand that he was and is the bread of life now, Jesus made this statement, and he said what he said because he wanted to separate the authentic from the counterfeits. Because, see, everybody in the crowd that said, Jesus, Jesus, everybody in the crowd that followed God, everybody was not who they claimed to be. And so by him making this statement, it was going to separate the authentic from the counterfeit. Now, unfortunately, in some of our churches today, We've got some people who are very authentic, but we also have some counterfeits. In our Bible study, some who are authentic, yet there's some who are counterfeits. Even in our families, 
We've got family members. Some are very authentic with their relationship uh, with God and their walk with God. There are others, though, they talk a good game if you didn't know any better, and they look good on the outside. But when the rubber meets the road, it's something totally different. But Jesus says this statement. He makes this statement to separate the authentic from the counterfeit. And notice in the text, when Jesus said what he said, and if you go back and you read verses 60 through 69, and he said, I am not going to feed you anymore. You're following me for the wrong reasons. You're only following me for what you can get out of me and not because of who I am. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that. But uh, Scripture also tells us that many that was his disciples, a lot in there claimed to be his disciples. And the Bible said many that his disciples didn't follow him anymore. Now, notice in the text, and you may ask the question, well, why is that so significant, Brother Brian? No, here's the reason why it's so significant. If you keep reading, you go back and you reread and you reread. He never apologized. He never said, I'm sorry. He never said, I didn't mean that. He never said, well, well come back and, and, and let's talk about it. Let, let me bend a little bit. Let me compromise. No, he never said anything like that. And you may, again, ask the question, well, why do you keep saying this, Brother Brian? Because many times if you and I are not careful, we are guilty and we can become guilty of running after people just to get them in church for the wrong reasons. And if we're going to disciple individuals, make sure that you're not leading them to Christ and trying to get them to church for the wrong reasons. Many times if you and I are not careful people end up getting baptized before they even get saved. And then we wonder why they fall off. We wonder why we see them for a little while, and then afterwards uh, they go into the witness protection program. You can't find them. I can't find them. It's always an excuse why they can't come, why they can't participate anymore. But when they first started off, I mean, they were on fire. But could it be they got baptized before they actually got saved? But this crowd here, this crowd here, they wanted what Jesus had to give without making any type of commitment. I want to make sure that I encourage all of you tonight that in discipling others, and we ourselves continue to be disciples and continue to walk with God. I want to make sure that we all understand that we should have commitments to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So when we look here, the first thing you notice here in the text, here's the first point that stands out. Not everybody can handle the truth. Not everybody can handle the truth. Because if you and I are going to be disciple, if we call ourselves trying to disciple others, then you have to understand and you have to realize you have got to be ready to tell the truth. I'm weary and I'm leery of people who say, well, we've got to learn how to coexist. We've got to learn how to get along. And I hear people say that. And especially they will say it toward the church and toward Christians. And that's really code for you need to compromise. 
Now, we may be able to compromise about other things, but when it comes down to the word of God, there is no compromise. Because scripture tells us, let our yeas be yea and our nay be nay. And so, if you walk away, if you stop speaking to me, I don't like when people don't speak to me, but sometimes that can be a blessing. I'm just, I'm being honest. <laughs> Maybe you don't feel like that, but, but nevertheless, if it means me standing by myself, if it means me standing by myself on the word of God, I cannot and I will not bend the truth, compromise the truth for you to like me or for you to invite me. I can't do that. And you may say, well, brotherhood, you and I are friends. You and I are boys. Well, that may be the truth, but I'm God's man first. And so when we look here at the text tonight and we realize and we have to understand, number one, no, no, not everybody can handle the truth. Truth can be either received or rejected. You have to understand that. Now, if you're going to be, you're going to disciple others and you're going to, you yourself and myself are going to be disciple as well and continue to be disciple. We have to understand that truth can be received or rejected. Some people want experience without expectations. And I believe that's worth saying one more time. There are just some people you and I are going to meet and we're going to encounter and they want experience without expectations. Many of our churches that are on the cutting edge, many of our churches that are growing fast overnight tend to minimize doctoring and requirements of discipleship to entertain and give people a new experience. I believe that's worth saying one more time. And again, I don't want you to leave out of here saying, well, Brotherhood is not in favor of churches uh, that are growing, that are exploding. That is not the case because there are some, you have a lot of churches that are very authentic. But there are some, unfortunately, who are on the cutting edge, who are growing the fastest and just blow up overnight. And if you're not careful in discipling others and trying to get others and win people to Christ, sometimes they tend to minimize doctoring. Again, tend to minimize the word of God. And if for those of you, uh, when I move up here and we begin to continue to build relationships, I'm just a big fan of the Bible. I get excited talking about the Bible. I don't know if you can tell that or not. I'm, I'm very passionate about the Bible. And, uh, and if we're not talking about the Bible, I, you tend to lose me. It's like when my wife's talking to me sometime, men, and I really don't want to hear what she has to say. And I had this imaginary remote control in my mind, and I just pushed mute. Now, she's not here tonight. Don't tell her I said that, okay, when you do see her. But I'm, I'm a fanatic about the Bible. And I believe that the Bible has an answer for everything that we deal with. Everything that we go through, everything that we have to deal with on a daily basis, the Bible has an answer. But if we're not careful, sometimes just to try to win people over, sometimes to get people involved, sometimes to pull people in, sometimes we will tend to minimize doctoring and requirement of discipleship to entertain and just to give people a new experience. But tonight, I want to make sure that you understand that Jesus is not looking for fans. 
And you have a lot of people who say that they are fans of Jesus. But Jesus is not looking for fans, but he's looking for followers. Jesus is not looking for fans, but he's looking for followers. Too many people are fans of Jesus, but not followers. And let me just give you a brief description, a description I should say, the difference between a fan and a follower. Fans show up when the sun is shining. Followers show up no matter what's going on. Fans show up only if their pastor is preaching or teaching. Surely you've heard somebody say, well, if my pastor is not preaching or teaching, I'm not coming tonight. You go ahead and I'll come back when he's preaching or teaching. Well, if that's, if, if that's the case, then you're just, you're a fan. You're a fan tonight if you didn't realize and understand that. But followers come no matter who's preaching or teaching. Fans come because they want their felt needs met. But followers come to hear Jesus' name called. True discipleship is not offended by the Bible. Now, what I don't get and what I don't understand, when you think about the world in which we live in today and we're constantly having to be politically correct just about on everything now until it's just... It kind of, it just really bothers me. Now, what I don't get and what I don't understand is when you look at the world and you see what the world does, and it does not line up with the Bible, but the, listen, but the world does not apologize for what she does. She does not apologize in how she lives. She does not apologize in the fact that it is okay for two men to be married or two women to be married doesn't apologize that, you know, thousands and thousands of children are being killed on a daily basis. And you do not read or hear where the world apologized for that. And too many times, brothers and sisters, it disturbs me. The world doesn't apologize. But why is the church always apologizing? Why is the church always apologizing when it comes down to the word of God? Marriage is between one man and one woman. And I don't apologize for that. If you stop speaking to me, remember what I said earlier, that could be a blessing in disguise. Could that allow me to witness and evangelize to somebody else? But again, why do you spend so much time apologizing for the word of God? God. Now, if you're saying something else that's not lining up with the word of God, then that's one thing. But I'm talking about speaking Bible, speaking truth. Why is it that the church always apologizes? Everybody else is coming out of the closet and the church is running in the closet. But true discipleship is not offended by the Bible. You have to understand and realize that when people are not living according to what God's word says, they're going to be mad. I have never met anybody that I had to witness to, evangelize to, and share God's word with, and they were not saved. And by the time I got through talking to them, they didn't always have a smile on their face. Because the word of God is like a two-edged sword. It cuts going and it cuts coming. 
Even right now as I'm speaking to you tonight, the word of God is stepping on my feet right now. But again, that's the word of God, and I don't apologize for that. It's no different than the mailman who delivers the mail, and sometimes he has to deliver uh, bills, and people want to run after the mailman, want to be nasty to the mailman. He's just delivering the mail. He's just a mail carrier. And I'm the same way. If you want, don't be mad at me. It's not my word, but it's God's word. But true disciples, again, I want to make sure that you understand. True disciples are not offended by the Bible. So the next time you're evangelized, the next time you're trying to disciple somebody and you're walking with them, you're leading them, try not to get too upset and too frustrated with individuals who are lost. Because lost people only know how to act one way. And that's lost. And if you don't believe me, let me ask you this question, and then we're going to move on. How many of you in here love to go fishing? Just raise your hand. Even if you like fish, raise your hand. All right, so that's a good many of you. All right, so if you were to go fishing with me, you were to go fishing with me, we all got in a boat and several boats and everything. We went out, threw the rod out, caught a lot of fishes, and put them in the bucket and everything like that. And then as soon as I caught the fish and everything, and I took it out of the bucket and I start passing it around to every one of you, And said, now go to eating. What would you say to me? Say what? Thank you. So you're going to eat the fish like it is. Okay. How many many of you? There you go. That's the point that I'm trying to get to. Many of us, very few, very few of us would actually take the fish that I give you straight out of the bucket after catching it and eat it like it is. That fish has to go through preparation has to be prepared. That's the same way lost people are. Too many times in trying to disciple and lead people to Christ, we want them to already come ready, made. And that's not going to happen because they've got to be prepared. They have to go through a process. And the only way they know how to act at that stage and at that moment is lost. So again, remember that when we talk about uh, discipleship. Here's the next thing. While everybody cannot handle the truth, the next thing here in the text we realize and we have to understand that everyone who comes to church lives in a glass house. Everybody, including myself, who comes, whether it's here or any given church or any time, any day of the week uh, that our place of worship is open uh, any given day of the week. Everyone who comes to church lives in a glass house. Now, again, you may ask the question, well, again, why is that so important? Because notice in the text, notice in the text, the text said he, meaning Jesus, he knew everyone's heart in the crowd. He knew everybody's heart in the crowd and you didn't think that Jesus did not know that when number one that many that was following him were following him for the wrong reasons and did you also not know that Jesus already knew that once he made the statement that he was going to make that many who claimed to be his disciple was going to turn around and walk away and leave him and so everybody who comes The church lives in a glass house. Because again, the text said he knew everyone's heart in the crowd. And while he also knew everybody's heart in the crowd, tonight, brothers and sisters, 
He knows your heart and he knows my heart. And here's the thing about that, brothers and sisters. In discipling and walking with God and trying to disciple others, I want to make sure that you understand because, again, I earlier, earlier part of the lesson, I talked about the authentic from the counterfeit. And I want to encourage you being you. You don't have to be like anybody else. You don't have to try to act like anybody else. Whether you believe it or not, it's a slap in God's face when you try to act like somebody else. And here's the reason why it's such a slap in God's face. Because God made you and I so, he made us so special that he even gave us our own set of fingerprints. And you and I had the nerve to want to act like somebody else. You're trying to sing and that may not be your gift. My wife tells me all the time, you need to sing way back in the choir. Uh, yeah, solo. Solo, wolo, and everything else that goes with it. But my, my, my point is, and what I want to make sure that you get and that you understand, you don't have to be like everybody else. Be what God created you and be the best. Be the best you that you can be. You don't have to be like anybody else. You may not praise God like others do. But still, be the best. If you like to pat your feet a little bit, be the best at that. If you can sing well, do that. You may be the one that nods your head a lot and not have a lot to say, but be the best at it. But you don't be like me. Don't be, try to be like uh, somebody else. And then when we talk about praising God, when we talk about discipleship, because God knows your heart and because God knows my heart, uh, we don't have to, we shouldn't have to have people to prime you and I. Now, I don't know about you, and I'm still learning, even though after 25 years of preaching, 15 years of pastoring, but for the life of me, I don't see, I don't understand when you talk about Jesus. There's some people you can have a conversation with them, and they say that they're saved, and they're Christians, and you can talk about Jesus and there's just no excitement whatsoever. No emotions, no anything. I mean, they just sit there. I mean, you know. And I said that to say this, if we are true disciples of Christ, and if we're going to disciple others, brothers and sisters, people need to know that we get excited about Jesus. Just the name of Jesus. I don't have much hair on my head, but what little bit I do have, it, the name of Jesus make that little bit of hair stand up on my head. And it's a shame you can tell when the world is excited about something, whether we agree with what the world does or not. You can tell when the world is actually having a good time. Why is it so hard to tell whether or not as Christians we're excited about God? Individuals should not have to prime you and I to be excited about God. People should not have to prime us. And in some of our churches, our poor worship pastor struggles to try to get us involved in praise and worship service. There's one church I know they have big TV screens up, and every time they want people to clap, the word applause comes on the screen. That's true. I won't tell you the name, but it's true. But if you've been born again, 
And if you sit up right now and you think about the goodness of God and how good God has been to you and what God has done for you in your life, you shouldn't have to have anybody to tell you that God is good. Because when people tell me, Brother Brian, God is good, I tell them, Brother or Sister, you late. I've been knowing that God is good because every day he wakes me up. Every day he walks with me. He talks with me. Again, I'm just excited about God. And so all of us that come to the house of God, we live in a glass house. God knows our hearts. And no matter how much we try to put on a show and whether we love him and that we're just so religious and we're so holy, please remember God knows your heart. God knows my heart. The individuals that you call yourself trying to disciple and minister to, sooner or later, the real you is going to come out. And so, remember, not everybody can handle the truth. And everybody who comes to church, yes, they live uh, in a glass house. But here's the last thing, and then I'll take my seat for tonight. The last thing here we notice in the text tonight, genuine faith cannot walk away genuine faith cannot walk away now you may say well again brother Brian what do you mean genuine faith cannot uh, walk away if you notice here in the text after Jesus said what he said he made the profound statement that he made I want to make sure that you understand this the crowd that the Lord was talking to it was about an average of 30,000 people that Jesus was talking to when he made this statement. And he said, I'm not going to feed you anymore. About 30,000 people were on hand when he made this statement. And if you go back and you read, read the text, the Bible said not, not many after that, many who called themselves disciples, they walked away. And Jesus went from 30,000 all the way down to 12. And in the 12, one of them was a devil. Now, I want you to think about that. He went from 30,000 down to 12. And out of that 12, even in that 12, one was not even saved. And many times, if we're not careful in ministry, we're always looking for the numbers. The big numbers. And we want to have, we don't think we're doing God's work if we don't have big numbers. I talked to a pastor the other day for the first time. I met him and he said, Brother Hood, I just pastor a little church right here off the corner here off the road. A little church? I've never read anywhere in the Bible where it's a little church. I understand we have different sized congregations. But I've never read anywhere a little church. None of God's churches are little. And if you're doing God's work, you're doing an awesome work. But nevertheless, he went from 30,000 down to 12. And from 12, even one of those was not saved. And look what Simon Peter said. The Lord said, after so many who claimed to be his disciples walked away because they were no longer going to get what they had been following him for, which was bread, and then the Lord looked at them and in essence, he said, are y'all going to walk away too? Are y'all going to leave me like everybody else has left me and walk away? But look what Simon Peter said. Number one, where are we going to go? 
where are we going uh, to go? That's verse 68, where he said, Then Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. And we believe and are sure that thou art that Christ. Now, I want to make sure that you understand. Here's the reason why he said, we believe that thou art that Christ. Because that suggests that there were a lot of false prophets going on at that day and time. But Simon Peter said, we believe that you are that Christ. Now, I don't know about you tonight, brothers and sisters, but it doesn't matter who walks away. Sometimes family will walk away from you because you refuse to compromise God's word. Friends will walk away. There will even be some people who claim to be Christians, and they'll walk away because you will not bend. You will not compromise. And even though this crowd walked away, Simon Peter said, I'm not going anywhere, Lord. We don't have anywhere else to go. And I said all that to say tonight, I'm not walking away. I'm going to stay with God no matter who walks away. No matter who stops speaking to me. No matter who disagrees with me. It's a shame. I tell people all the time, we can disagree, but we should never fall out with one another. Not Christians. We should, yes, we're going to disagree. And we may not always see things out of, but we should never, ever truly have a falling out with one another. But even if that is the case, I'm staying with God. Even if other people walk away, I'm staying with God. Even if the world turns their back and they are doing it and doing it in droves, I'm still going to stay with God. And I'm staying with God because, again, he's God. And I'm so glad he did something for me that I could not do for myself. He died on that old rugged cross. I couldn't do it for myself. He could have came down, but he stayed right there. Of course, we know the story. Put in a grave and three days later. And for that, I'm very thankful for that. So there will be times in our lives where we will be tested. And I think I told you on last week, if your faith has not been tested, it's not a faith at all. But what are you going to do when you are tested? When are you going to do when others don't want to hear the truth? When are you going to do when others reject what you're saying? Biblical-wise, not what the news said, not what grandma said, not what pappy said. I'm talking about what the Bible says. Are you still going to stand for God when the smoke is cleared? And Sometimes you may be the only one. I hope and pray that you do because I'm going to be right there with you standing. God bless you tonight. God keep you. My time is up. It's 7 o'clock, <laughs> and I'm done. Amen. <laughs>